Well, welcome to the Saturation Podcast. Uh, my name is Levi Pancake. I serve as a local church pastor in Syracuse, New York, and I am with Dwight Smith. Uh, this podcast, what we're trying to do, these are discussions with church leaders about the life of faith and the mission of the church. Dwight, when I introduce myself, um, Levi Pancake, it's a lot to take in. I didn't talk about this in the first episode, but usually I just go with Levi. Uh, people think I'm trying to crack a joke. Uh, people don't know what I'm saying or doing. I was at a diner in Saugerties, New York, uh, just the other day. And when I paid with my credit card, the waitress um, saw my last name and was trying to explain it to her colleague what my last name was at a breakfast diner. It was really exciting for all of them. And uh, the waitress, the other waitress heard what she was saying, but could not compute that this is in fact my name, Levi Pancake. So uh, I deal with it uh, a lot, my poor kids. Uh, your name, however, is a little more vanilla. It's a little more standard. Very. A lot of Dwight Smiths out yeah. there, I would imagine. Yeah. A lot of Smiths. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, it's great to be talking with mm-hmm. you. What I want to talk about in this episode is uh, something that I've heard you articulate often. And that is uh, this phrase you've said, you are writing the history of your nation. And I've heard you in uh, large groups and small talk about uh, this moment in time where you think uh, the church is as you evaluate it. But as you come to some conclusions with that, um, you also talk a bit about just the history of missions Mm -hmm. and would love for you to elaborate a bit on that. I've always been a challenge and blessed not only um, by your biblical understanding and your theological convictions, but um, your understanding of church history in Mm -hmm. particular. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm often, yeah, just really, really challenged by it. And you're just spitting things out left and right. I'm having to Google things and look things up. So uh, if you could just elaborate on that, I think that uh, it's interesting to me, whether it's interesting to general audience, I'm not as uh, sure. But uh, you've said you are writing the history of your nation and uh, what does that statement mean? Mm-hmm. And and talk a bit about um, yeah, missions in general. Yeah, let me start with that that statement. And what I want people to understand is is that they are significant to the history of their nation. You think, well, I've just got fifty people in my church, and I'm working at it, and it's not important. It's like, no, it is important because your fifty potentially have connections to two or three or four or five hundred other people. So you begin to add that up all over a nation and you take several thousand and all of a sudden we have a community of people that whether we are intentional with it or not, we're still connected to people in one way or another at work or at at uh, at play or at some ball ball game with our kids or whatever. So we have this audience of people we're connected to. And uh, and and I want them to understand that they are not insignificant to what God wants to do in that moment, in that place, in that history. Amen. The second, I want them to understand that, uh, well, the political leaders, they're writing the history of this nation. Well, you know, the educational people, you know, we, we look at that in the newspapers and we think everything is lost. It's all we have no control over it. And yes, there is this this sense of questioning. How do we end up with so much public evil? You know, why in the world will people do this? Well, I have no control over it. That's all true to a degree. But on the other side, God is involved in your time. That's right. His sovereignty is being written. On every place in this world, it's not as if the government or industry or economy or happens yeah. without God. Yep. 
He's involved in those. Now, we don't understand why all the time or how, but we know from Scripture he is. He's on the throne. And he's there in one way through you, you, your people. So the, the, the importance of your focus and your people and keeping that view on history, keeping that view on eternity, it's not a, just incidental that you're going to preach a sermon on Sunday and that's it. No, you are going to influence 50 people to think different about their time in history. Mm-hmm. Not, not that we all become massively significant, but God writes history through people mm-hmm. and one of the greatest ways he writes is to the people of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I want them to understand that. Mm-hmm. I also want them to understand that we, in many ways, are the children of a long-term history. Yeah. Now, you can go back 2,000 years, but let's just start with the concept of world evangelization. Go back a little over 350 years, maybe. And all the men and women who went out to the world, first from the European context, well, actually first from others, but let's start with that in the modern missionary movement, from the the, the, the uh, European context. And wherever Europeans went discovering the world, missionaries went behind them because the church sent them. Mm-hmm. Not always easily. Sometimes the church didn't want to do it, yeah. but they did, finally. And, uh, and and that kept growing because people were asking a significant question. And this one still lasts today. How do we finish the task? Yep. Now, that, that question grew over time so that by the late 1800s, you had big conferences being ha- being celebrated all over the world where there were n- great numbers of missionary leaders and church leaders were gathering uh, within the inspiration of a few men and women who were really felt that this needed to happen. They kept asking the question, how do we complete the task? And that was in a day when when if you looked at the task, it looked immense to to the reality that we weren't in a lot of those places. Right. We were just getting started. And some were, but not in all of them. Right. And so this thing began to pick up in energy in the late 1800s, and now by the but by the middle of the uh, of the 1900s, you have a crescendo of growth beginning to happen, so that Christian historians start to say, "Whoa." Between these late 1800s and the middle of 1900s. Uh, World War One, World War Two creates diver creates all kinds of of uh, dis- people moving all over the world, and all of a sudden they come home. They don't want to go to the farm anymore. They want to go somewhere that God wants to send them, and and so now you're beginning to get presence all over the world of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And then Ralph Winter has a little book called The 25 Unbelievable Years, where he docs- documents between 1950 and 1975. More missionaries went out from America than at any other time in in American history um, up to that point. And and the whole Bible college movement that developed in those early days, it was all in response to this, um, we're there. We need more. We need to have people go. And, and, and the GIs saw the world. They came back. You mentioned they're they're not they don't want to be on the farm nope. anymore. Their their heart their and heart they breaks went. for it. They're Christians. They go yep. and they yeah. went to a Bible college. They got that 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 Bible college degree and they went. Now, in point of fact, especially in in Africa and in in China and in a few other places, 
lots of them died, which is where we come up with the statement that the Church of Africa is built upon the blood of missionaries. Because so many went and didn't, some of them didn't survive very long, right. a few weeks and they died. But, but the point being, it was no longer just a European church. Mm-hmm. It's now becoming a global church, a universal church. And then between the 50s and today, you have this growing number of, of uh, missionaries who are no longer just Western going. They are now from all over the world, going all over the world. Mm-hmm. So every continent has Christians who are going and coming and and they're touching and they're sending missionaries and movement is happening. And now today, you know, something close to three billion Christians on the earth. And 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 when you look at places like where we're involved in India, in point of fact, in the last 30 or 40 years, India has become the largest church of church history. Hmm. So massive change, but that change starts from the seed. Mm-hmm. And people who maybe only went and lived in Rwanda for six weeks and died, they were still writing the church, writing the history of the Church of Africa. Mm-hmm. And that story hasn't stopped now. Hasn't stopped. Hasn't stopped. And I think we don't understand sometimes that eternal destiny that God wants to put his hand into and write through his people on the faces of a nation, even in difficulty, even in persecution, even in, in all the, the obstacles, mm-hmm. Manipur, great sacrifice going on right now. Christians whose homes are being built. And one of the guys that we work with has a close friend who's been a pastor and, and his wife and his daughter were burned in their home. And later he was caught. Built. Their homes are being burned. Burned. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And, and his head, he was beheaded. His kids are out. Mm. His two boys are out in the villages, out in the jungle somewhere, just trying to survive. But, but still, that is being indelibly written. Mm-hmm. Because we find that that does create receptivity many times. We're writing the history of our nation. Not somebody else. Not before. Not after. We are the ones that God's going to use to write the history. Because the history of this nation is going to be a history eternally that has to deal with the reality of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Well, and that the global perspective is so helpful because um, in this moment in time, it does seem like Christianity has lost influence, even in the last decade. Went from being a punchline. Especially in the, in the West. Yeah, in America, yeah. Uh, in the West. But we went from being a, a punchline of a late night joke to now uh, we're bigots. We're yeah. dangerous. We're yeah. um, uh, we we can't be tolerated. We're yeah. a threat. Yeah. And so it is easy to, and this is our reality, but it is easy to become myopic, but forget all that God has done globally uh, and what God is currently doing globally. Mm-hmm. That is often uh, really encouraging. In many parts of the world, the history of what God wrote through his people was done actually through sacrifice and suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't claim to understand all that. Mm-hmm. It's just a, an observation of reality. Uh, what we pray is that there is peace and opportunity sure. and, and, and we can move. But where there's not, there's something that happens in the seed of death that speaks to people in a way that apparently... Normalcy can't speak. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of First Timothy 2, where we're to, we're to pray for peace. We're to pray for our leaders. Um, so that's what we're to pray for. Uh, but we should also expect 
persecution, well, it, hardship. It's, it's promise. So, I mean, it's yeah, promise. the end of the Beatitudes, Matthew yeah. 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are uh, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 5, 10. Um, so we're to pray for it. Yeah. We shouldn't be thrown when it comes. Yeah. Re- I've been reading the general epistles recently yeah. and theme after theme. The writers are writing to an early church to encourage them in the midst of their hardship and suffering, yeah. mainly because of their identification with Jesus Christ. And I want, I want leaders all over the world to be able to lift up their eyes. We said that in the first podcast, to lift up their eyes and see eternity, mm-hmm. see opportunity, see reality, see, and say, so don't spend so much time maintaining what is without spending some kind of time thinking about what can be, what should be, what ought to be, what God wants That's to right. be. Or, or what happens is you just, you're, you're managing a crowd of people for eternity, mm-hmm. until eternity. It's like, that's not our job. Mm-hmm. Uh, our job is to, to pour, pour out all the assets that we possess into our time and let God use them to write the gospel across the nation. Yeah. Well, in the role of church leaders in particular, um, we're to, I'm going to use these words interchangeably, to mobilize yeah. Christ's people, the, the people that he's entrusted to us in the yeah. life of faith mission of the church, to equip them. Yeah. Life of faith, mission of the church yeah. to disciple them. Yeah, um, in uh, in the things that the scriptures yeah. called every follower yeah. of Christ to be and to do. Yeah. So we we look at an American man, you know, sixty million people in church occasionally, once every four, five, six weeks, whatever the number is. It, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, it is. But some would say that maybe more, no more than two or three percent are really followers of Christ. If you ask the question, what does a follower of Christ look like? Yeah. Not what do they do on Sunday? Right. No, whatever the number is, you know, it, it's not as many as we think. But if there are two or three percent, then, you know, you could be looking at I don't know, two, three, four, five, eight, ten, whatever million, whatever the number is. Imagine what those people can do, because those are true followers of Christ. That is, at the very least, you don't know about the rest, but you know those are. Mm-hmm. Uh, imagine what God does through those people. Mm-hmm. As they live qualitatively Absolutely. distinct lives. Absolutely. Yeah. He writes the history of the nation. And I think we don't do enough that kind of destiny thinking, if I can use that word. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we think, well, it's just small, it's tough. I can't, you know, and I think the more pastoral you are, the more you struggle with that. Potentially, because um, you you lean. You care to about see the people. people. You yeah. care about the people. But you, but caring for the people is a uh, is necessary. Yes. I'm gonna, and by care, I I do mean help them grow. Yeah. In their relationship with God, sure. and representation of Him, and help them solve their struggles. Yeah. That's sure. necessary to them to them being faithful yes. witnesses. Yeah, but, but you can but, never stop letting them be the witness. But that's not the end in and of itself. No, no exactly. can't be, can't be. And I, I'm mentioning Matthew 5. You can um, probably pick up on the fact that we're preaching through the Sermon on the Mount right now in our church. So mm-hmm. these things are fresh in my brain. But uh, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, you, it's an indicative statement. You are the salt of the earth. Yeah. You yeah. are yeah. The, the light, light of, of the world. world. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah. not a command. I mean, there are commands yeah. that tell us to do it, but that that is a fact, and that's what you're saying. You've, you've two, three percent, whatever it is. We we do write the history of our nation because the scriptures say we are salt. Yeah, and we are light. Yeah, as long as we don't lose that distinctive Absolutely. flavor, that preservative for salt. As long as we don't take that light and hide it under a bush, you don't do that. Um, that living qualitatively distinct lives yeah. 
that is how the nation is reached. And, and leaders have to understand, that's the, the prophetic nature of what we're trying to do, the corrective nature, is remind you that, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not here to exegete and preach sermons. You're not here to just do worship service. Yeah, you're only, not here. only. Well, I'm at, only. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, we'll get to the only, but yeah. you're not here for that. Those things go on. Yeah. And yes, maybe more things go on. We can, we can do anything that's not illegal, immoral, and unethical to be able to do what we need to do to be the people of God. But those are not why we're here. Yeah, that's not why we exist. No. Yeah. And if leadership doesn't keep that eye themselves on that, then the people won't. Mm -hmm. The people will become overwhelmed by culture and reality and their lives and their struggles, their children, their marriage, and, and, and not get this sense of, no, 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 no. Eternity's coming. I don't know when it's coming for me. And my life is to be poured out as a, an instrument for God to write his power across the places I go and, and where I am, where I can have influence. Right. But if leadership doesn't have it, People are not likely to have it except by exception. Right. Because um, what we champion and expect as leaders, um, we can't make people do anything. Yeah. You use the analogy often, midwife, yep. in a sense. We're cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But what we as leaders uh, champion, expect to the degree that they're biblical, mm -hmm. which I believe we're talking about biblical concepts absolutely, here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, we've got to help people think through it. Yeah, we've got to help people frame uh, their daily lives in light of eternity, in light of history, global history, global Christian history, and um, and help them see their place in yeah. that uh, for no other reason than so that they don't lose perspective. And so every and they Sunday, stay focused. Every Sunday, we get up in that in that time of teaching, and we we want to be reminded. So we remind the people that over the next seven days, you're going to write the history. Mm of the gospel in this city, in this neighborhood. Because of your spheres of influence, Absolutely. who you interact with. And if you don't write it, then God's going to have to find somebody else to write it. Because mm -hmm. he will write it. Yeah. Well, um, a phrase that, that we use often, um, it's in your books, and it has been used as a, a big tagline, a banner. Yeah. Uh, Every man, woman, and child. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned you're writing the history of your nation. I want to connect that to the to the theme, this phrase, every man, woman, and child. Yeah. And uh, just explain what you mean by that a bit and, and how those two connect. I think it's related to the name of this podcast yeah. and saturation yeah. and all of that. Well, obviously, what we want is we want the gospel to be accessible, understandable, touchable in every place so that every man, woman, and child has an opportunity to understand that there is a promise in the gospel, a promise of salvation, an offer, and a promise of judgment. Both are there in the gospel. And we want to have churches understand that that becomes a goal and a measurability. Mm -hmm. Now, we're not presuming that every man, woman, child is going to become a follower of Christ. Right. We're not presuming that we're necessarily going to have a verbal dialogue with every man, woman, child, that we don't have a catalog listed out of everybody in every street and every house, and we're going to make sure we can check. That's not what I'm saying. Right. I'm just saying that if we keep it in mind that that's why we're here, it's the lostness of the place, 
and that's what our people are here for, and uh, and that we can get access to every man, woman, and child, then God has the opportunity to lead, to direct, to orchestrate um, all of the contexts of both listening and declaration. We declaring by life and action and availability and message and all of that. And they, with interest, searching for, because God has to do that, mm -hmm. that those two things have an opportunity then to bring all those that he's going to bring to salvation to bring to salvation. Mm -hmm. um, and so we simply line ourselves with God that, yes, the gospel is about every man, woman, child. Will it be every man, woman, child? No. But it's about every man, woman, and child. Right. Saturation. Absolutely. It's about evangelization. Yeah, absolutely. It's about every man, woman, and child. Having Which, therefore, we back up and we say, well, then the best way to get access is through people. Right. Oh, the best way to get access is organized people in a locality. Oh, that's a church. Yeah, right. Yeah? Uh, so if you don't have people and you don't have that church— um, and you can't get that church in in access to every man, woman, child. You're the leadership of that church that's champion, expecting, yeah. encouraging. and It's going to make it harder if you don't do those things. Right. So how do you do that? So how do you do that? How do you plant the right kind of church to make it accessible? And, and that's why then, then the church starts to make different kinds of decisions about its, about its structure, about its message, about its assets. Mm -hmm. It impacts all of that mm -hmm. about its expectations on its people, divine expectations, not human expectations, mm -hmm. scriptural expectations. Because if God is not in them, then you're asking them to be Ottomans. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just going to be, you know, they're going to go out and do something that is not in their heart because the spirit's not. But but if the spirit's in their heart, then you got to believe that God is going to be moving them in these things. Right. So there's a backup to all of this. So we organize churches because people are coming to faith. But the people that come to faith, the people who are in the church, they're also the instruments that That's God right. uses. And so if we can get as many of those organized in access to every man, woman, and child. Now, in America, we already have enough churches. If Jim Montgomery's criterion is correct, we've already got enough churches. If one church for every thousand people... Or it's a sociological statement. Yeah, yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. Well, we already got enough churches. But we already know there, there what is kind of churches. There's no yeah. sense of destiny in those churches. Yeah. Are they even orthodox? Are they? Yeah. They're, if you go to some of these small towns in New York where we are, um, someone who's not familiar with the place, someone from out of the country, they come in and they would say there are churches everywhere. Everywhere. And then, but then you start. Well, what kind of is that a healthy church? Is yeah. that a church that? That thinks of their destiny? Is that a church that's tethered to the scriptures? Is that a church as a leadership that makes the equipping of those people their highest priority? Those type of things. Yeah. And um, so there might be a building yeah. accessible to every thousand people. Um, but, but the not health really, of that church. Not really a body of believers. Right. Right. That are mobilized. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, we're going to wrap up there in this episode. Mm -hmm. um, I want to thank you for listening to the Saturation Podcast, where we have discussions with church leaders about the life of faith and mission of the church. Uh, if you would like more information about some of these concepts, convictions, things, I want to remind you again to please go to scpglobal.org, or you can go to Dwight's uh, personal website, dwightpaulsmith.com. Thanks for listening. 
Thank you for listening to the Saturation Podcast, where we have discussions with church leaders about the life of faith and mission of the church. This podcast is produced by Saturation Church Planning. Saturation Church Planning exists to glorify God through partnering with church leaders in nations, regions, cities throughout the world towards the full evangelization of those places through the mobilization of the church. For more information, please visit scpglobal.org.